so today we have Mary Holland, who is a world-renowned human rights uh, attorney. She's the president and general counsel for Children's Health Defense. Mary, welcome to American Conversations on CD, CD Media. Thank you. Um, thanks for coming, because I know you've really been busy. So Thursday, President Biden announced mandatory vaccines for federal employees, for healthcare providers who get who use Medicare, Medicaid, um, and also for corporations and small businesses of 100 employees or more. What's your reaction to this draconian statement that he made? Well, one. The big point, Christine, is even the the Associated Press say we've now moved from a war on the virus to a war on the unvaccinated. Right. He said, we're losing patience with you. You know, get vaccinated was his sort of final word. This is to me unbelievably divisive and incredibly dangerous. Right. He's just announced that the scapegoats are the unvaccinated and people should shun them. We should fire them. Even if those were the frontline workers during the pandemic, we should not give those people their pensions. We should humiliate those people as he just did on the air. And we should basically excise those people from civil society. That is not leadership. That is horrifying to me. Um, and we need people who will bring people together. We need people who understand why people are not vaccinating these vaccines are not adequately proven safe and effective. On the contrary, they have been proven through evidence to be ineffective against these new variants and quite unsafe for thousands of people. So it's really disturbing to me. But the other thing it suggests, Biden's speech, is that they're they're acting on the fly, Christine. They, they don't have these regulations about forcing employers with over 100 employees. They want the uh, you know Occupational Safety and Health Administration to do that. They want the De Department of Labor to do that. They don't even have the regulation done yet. They actually have to have a notice and comment period is what I understand. So this is being done in a very haphazard and very dangerous way from my perspective. When we've spoken to a lot of the victims, uh, or the, I shouldn't say victims, the injured from the vaccines, people who have enrolled during the uh, clinical trials, and also the the early enrollments from December onward, because they were healthcare workers, they were doctors, they were um, nurses, they were dental hygienists, they were teachers that were around little kids, you know, who had carried germs. One of the things that has become evident, I think, to Todd and, and myself is that these people who are, you know, the average citizen who signed up, who are, are not involved with politics, and they really believe that if they are injured, that they may be compensated because Fauci says that. And they don't really realize that it, you know, if they've taken one shot from Pfizer or Moderna, and they chose not to get the second, or their clinic administrator who gave their doctor said, don't take the second. They think that they don't have to take the second one, but it's really clear from the administration, unless you get the second shot in the Moderna Pfizer, you're not fully vaccinated. And now with the booster coming, it's, you know, the question I think that the public doesn't understand is, are you really going to agree that boosters forever 
That's so, to me, that's where we're at. It's not about one vaccine. No, it's absolutely not. So remember, the term of art here has changed from vaccinated to fully vaccinated. Almost every person in this country, literally somewhere close to 99% of people in this country have been vaccinated with some vaccines. Most people, you know, my age cohort, you know, got at least polio, diphtheria, tetanus, pertussis. People younger than me got many, many more. Children today get, you know, literally 72 doses is what's recommended. Now the term is fully vaccinated. I was just reading a regulation for New York State. It doesn't state the number of vaccines required to be fully vaccinated. That shall be determined by the Department of Health. What we know is the French vaccine passport, the health pass in France has slots for eight vaccines, Christine. This is a program to require people to get vaccinated presumably every five or six months. This is, I, and I don't think people will buy that, Christine. That is an admission that these things don't work. Well, uh, it, it also it also points out to the fact that if you get, if you take these vaccines, and if they're, if if the medical community comes up with a remedy to for treatments, if you get sick from the variant, whenever that is, we don't know, and neither does anybody on the planet know that if the mixture of the treatments after you get a disease after you've been vaccinated could be harmful to the human body. Well, well, also the the ongoing vaccines are putting trillions of spike proteins in your body. One of the things I want to explain to people is that on August 23rd, the Food and Drug Administration said that it licensed the Pfizer vaccine. There's really a smoke and mirrors operation going on right now with the FDA and Pfizer. They licensed the Comirnaty Pfizer vaccine, which is largely unavailable in the United States by their own admission. What's available in the United States is still an emergency use authorization product and federal law requires that people have the right to refuse that. It is not adequately researched yet. The clinical trials, the phase three clinical trials aren't over until 2022 and 2023 for Moderna and Pfizer. We don't know the long-term effects of the manufacturing of spike protein in people's bodies. We don't know the reproductive effects. We don't know how this is gonna affect immunocompromised. We don't know how it's gonna affect children yet. And yet this, this massive push, get the kids here, get the boosters going. And the data out of Israel, the data out of the UK, the data out of Gibraltar, these are highly vaccinated populations. They have horrible data. They have horrible statistics about what's happening to people who've been vaccinated. It's in fact, the countries with extremely low vaccine rates that are having the best death rates, you know, having the lowest death rates, countries in Africa, India now, this is just topsy-turvy. And one of the most disturbing things, I'm sorry, I got a little excited. That's one okay. of the most disturbing things is the censorship of science, right? So the data is telling us that the vaccination is counterproductive. That is what the data is telling us from the most highly vaccinated populations. And yet doctors who go out with that information are now being accused of misinformation and their state health boards can take away their licenses, Christine. Amazon, Google, Twitter, Facebook, they are actively censoring anybody who is going out with accurate scientific information that the vaccines are not working to stop the virus. On the contrary, the evidence suggests that they are creating 
the variants, which is very consistent with what we know about antibiotics. It's not people who don't use antibiotics that cause antibiotic resistance. It's overuse of antibiotics right. that causes resistance. That's what's happening with vaccines. It's just logical. We're overusing them on healthy people who don't need them. And so we are putting ecological pressure on the vaccine, which is causing the creation of variants. The virus wants to live just like us. So if they can't sort of survive in their current iteration, they will evolve. So it's just lunacy what we're doing. And many prominent scientists around the world, as you know, Christine, have been speaking out against this for the last year and a half. Luc Montagnier, a Nobel Prize winner who's on our scientific advisory board, uh, Sukarit Bhakti, one of the world's greatest microbiologists, Peter McCullough, one of the world's best cardiologists, Robert Malone, the inventor of the mRNA vaccine. I mean, these are not like marginal folks. These are world leaders in virology. So it, it, the world is upside down right now. Well, it's upside down, but let, let's unpack this for the moment, because I think it's important for people to know what is going on in Israel, what is going on in Gibraltar, what is going on in the UK as of September 12th today, because this is just days following uh, President Biden's mandatory for everybody. Well, I, I hope you'll interview some scientists. I mean, it, I, it would be better coming from a scientist. I just looked at data that was published in September last night from the UK Public Health Service straight up government data. And if you unpack that data of who is dying, people who have received two doses of the vaccine in the UK, which could be AstraZeneca, Moderna, Pfizer, I'm not sure which one, AstraZeneca is the, the, the big one, um, they are four and a half times more likely to die from COVID than people who are unvaccinated. That's what the government data show. Right. Israel, it's uh, is something I don't know the exact numbers for Israel, but Gibraltar, the same thing. These are the most Israel is suppressing the data. They're well, not releasing the death data. I don't believe out, what's what is coming out suggests very strongly. Well, I can tell you a graph that I just um, I can send you. The, the booster doses in Israel were introduced in the middle of August. If you look at the death rate overall death rate in Israel compared to the overall death rate in Tanzania and Switzerland and Germany, when you see the introduction of the boosters, the rate of death in Israel goes like this. Uh, you know, explain it. What's, you know, that's all cause mortality, but why would the death rate suddenly escalate like this at the time that you introduce the booster shots? So in Gibraltar, you know, the, 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 the cases have not gone down and it, they're quarantining people everywhere. And it, it's uh, it, certainly the data doesn't, you know, listen, if these shots were everything they say they are, I'd be the first in line. If this was really like there's no risk and it's going to protect me from disease, why not? I'd go get it. But that's not the reality. These things carry enormous risks, including fatal risk and against the Delta variant, which is what's in circulation, it doesn't work. The data shows that it's under 40% effective. Why would somebody go take something that might cause death that's under 40% effective? They wouldn't. And so the 80 million people, stand your ground. You've got the right side of this argument and nobody should have the right under international human rights norms to force you to take an experimental medication, which is what this is. So. 
you know, the governments around the world are on the wrong side of the law here. And that too is deeply disturbing. This is an assault, not only on the unvaccinated, it, they're scapegoating the unvaccinated so-called, which they're calling anybody who hasn't gotten two doses and is more than 14 days out from their last vaccine. But this is a war on the rule of law. The, the Nuremberg Code after World War II told us in the first principle, the consent of the individual is absolutely essential. Absolutely is really important there. Absolutely. And also informed consent. Well, it's about informed consent, Christine. And Nuremberg grew out of experiments. And I still argue what's available in the United States are experimental products. The licensed products are unavailable. But over since 1947, that norm has been expanded to medical decision-making generally. People have to have the right to have prior free and informed consent. That's the UN Declaration on right. Bioethics and Human Rights. And it pertains to treatment as much as it pertains to experiments. And that also includes parents have the right and the obligation to make those decisions for their children. And so the government is and, and, and it does provide for emergencies, okay? So there is such, I, there is such a thing as an emergency, but this pandemic does not reach anything like what in my mind would be able to justify that. And we have to, at this point, wonder whether there should ever be justification for this kind of thing. But the, you know, the, the infection fatality rate for COVID was about 1% when we started this. This is, it was, it was a risk to people over 70. And those people certainly should have been protected, in my view, much as they were in Sweden. But for everybody else, like, get on with your life. You're not going to die. There are now known very effective early treatments people get herd immunity. If you look at what's happened in Sweden now, you know, there's no real rise in the death rate. It's very, very, very low for COVID because they did what the rest of the developed world didn't do is they said, we're gonna protect the elderly and we're gonna let everybody else get about their lives. So let's mm -hmm. talk about, and I wanna address this because it's important when we have interviewed the, the uh, injured as, as you guys have interviewed the injured over at uh, CDH. Explain to the public, that this really is a roll of the die because if they take the risk and they become injured, many of the people believe that they're going to be compensated because Fauci broadly says, oh, there's a compensation if you're injured. And we all, and it, give the history, Mary, going back to 1988, and then that, that, that uh, vaccine court, and, and then what actually is the COVID court today? Right. So, Basically, from about the 1930s on, um, there were efforts to, to vaccinate people. There was this idea that we would be preventing disease. And so we saw like in the 30s, sort of, you know, the diphtheria, tetanus, pertussis. Then starting in the 60s, scientists invented the measles vaccine. And we started to see, you know, widespread use of measles vaccine. Also, mumps and rubella came on shortly thereafter. There was then the combination MMR. Uh, measles, mumps, rubella, and a polio shot. So those until like the 60s, that was the full schedule. And then <laughs> we started to see people with serious neurological damage and people who died from these shots. Children were dying from these shots. And it was rare that a family would prevail on a tort theory that, you know, this is what was the proximate cause of harm and you're responsible. 
rarely would families win because it's very hard to prove a vaccine injury that that was the only cause, but sometimes they would win and they would get a couple million dollar judgments back in the 1960s. That was you know real money back then. Right. And so the, and, and people were suing the doctors, Christine, and they were winning judgments against the doctors that the doctor should have recognized certain, um, you know, uh, what's the word, pre-existing conditions in these children, and they shouldn't have vaccinated them, or they vaccinated them against what was then the standard. So the doctors through the American Medical Association and pharma got together, and they had parents who had united under a label of DPT, um, dissatisfied parents together. For years, they negotiated in Congress and they came up with the 1986 National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act. And that was meant to do three things. It was meant to give liability protection to pharma for manufacturing vaccines, liability protection to the doctors, and compensation to the children who would inevitably be injured or who would die. It was a three-legged stool. And the other thing was it was meant to make safer vaccines that the that HHS, Health and Human Services, had to report to Congress every two years about how they were making vaccines safer so that there wouldn't be inevitable injuries. And there's a lot that can be done, Christine. And, and that's because <laughs> CDC, NIH reports to HHS, CDC, FDA, NIH are all part of under this umbrella of HHS. So flash forward, um, <laughs> this is like a green light to industry. This is like ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. We can mandate them because a Supreme Court decision in 1905 said that's possible. It was sort of, in my view, distorted way beyond anything that decision Jacobson versus Massachusetts said, and no liability. What is the biggest cost to the pharmaceutical industry's liability? So mandates liability, no marketing, no litigation costs. I mean, it's just ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. So they, <laughs> they, 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 they immediately ramp up the childhood vaccine schedule from these seven initial vaccines, polio, MMR, DPT, to 72 doses of 16 vaccines today. For this, the and this is following the 1986. Following the 1986 act. And we see right. that blip immediately. We see empirical evidence, Christine, of, of childhood um, you know, um, chronic conditions escalate immediately. We see encephalopathy, we see seizures, we see autism, we see ADHD, we see asthma, we see eczema, we see boom. So that over 50% of American kids today have some kind of chronic health condition, including obesity, which is also epidemic. So then we start to see in this 19, it, it, so the 1986 sets up something called the National Child, the National uh, vaccine injury compensation program. And in the first year or two, they actually paid people, Christine. In the first year or two, they actually had like a longer statute of limitations. People would show up, they'd say, my kid got seizures the day after he got his vaccines. He's, you know, he's, he's, um, he's intellectually disabled, pay us out, he's gonna need care for life. And in like, you know, before 1990, that happened. But guess what? <laughs> the cases exploded because they, the schedule exploded with minimal research. They didn't even have true placebos, Christine, in the clinical trials for these vaccines. They used other vaccines as their so-called placebo. This is just, you know, butchered science and um, exploding injuries for kids and the government just looking the other way. And one of the things that 
I can inform Consent Action Network, Dale Bigtree and Robert Kennedy, the chair of Children's Health Defense with lawyer uh, Aaron Siri did is they actually went to a court in the Southern District of New York to get a declaratory judgment that Health and Human Services, our US government supposed to be looking out for us for public health. They never even reported to Congress every two years on how they made vaccines safer. Well, what does that tell you? They didn't, that's pretty clear. So then so this is this is under this is under at that point in time that was under uh what year did Bobby and Adele go to them? Well it's a few is years ago. I think that's under I think that's I think that's under Obama. I'm not sure. It doesn't really matter, Christine. This is not just one administration, right. this is both parties. There's no uh there's no light here right. uh in HHS, sad to say. This is a captured agency, like so many of our agencies. HHS is a captured agency by industry, which includes the healthcare industry industry and pharma. Fast forward, 9-11 happens. Right after 9-11, you'll remember that members of Congress got letters containing anthrax. That caused great consternation and fear. And um, we had, at that point, scientists had developed an anthrax vaccine. So sort of under the guise of this threat of bioterrorism that we are definitely under now, Congress passed a law in 2005 called the PrEP Act preparedness and readiness, blah, 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 emergency, whatever. I always get mixed up on the words, but the 2005 PrEP Act. So the 2005 PrEP Act is even more protective of industry and of healthcare workers and of government planners than the 1986 Act. And let me just say on the 1986 Which means for the, this protects the distributors. Blanket liability, and I'll explain what that is. But let me just go back, I'm sorry, for a second to the compensation program under the 86 Act. So they said, you know, autism is not caused by vaccines. That threw 5,000 cases out of the NBICP, but that was a total lie. The science absolutely is very clear that vaccines cause autism. And they uh, lied, and they lied. We know I, this. I, those were, that was a horrendous sort of omnibus autism proceeding that ended, I think, in 2012 in that NBICP. And basically, one out of less than one out of three cases gets compensated. There's no discovery. There's no jury. There's no procedural rules, really. Uh, you know, it's they're very hostile to people who bring any claims. There's a very short, it's a two-year statute of limitations for death, a three-year statute of limitations for uh, injury. Uh, it's, it's absolutely a nightmare for the families that try to go. But some got compensated, Christine, and some got life care for their kids and their lawyers' fees were paid. So okay, it's so horrible. Stop, hold on, Mary. Stop right there because I think for the, uh, the average person, and not, not everybody's ever been in a court case, but for an average person, you hire a lawyer, you file a complaint, the other party hires a lawyer. If it's a government agency, then you know the government lawyers come in. This is not like filing a complaint in district court someplace. Or no, some this is so, so this is what the 86 Act did. Explain what that means, because okay. that that is not understood by the average right. person. Let me explain this. So people know that over the last several decades, there's been this call for tort reform, tort reform. We can't have these runaway jury verdicts, right? We need to have some kind of rules of the road when we're compensating people for medical harm. Well, the first experiment in that was for the vaccine injury compensation program. Right. So this was the experiment to take these cases out of civil court. Can't go to state court. Can't go to federal court. You have to come to this compensation program first. And guess who you're up against? You're up against the Department of Justice representing Health and Human Services. You don't get the doctor up on the stand. You don't get 
Pfizer or GlaxoSmithKline up on the stand, you get HHS and you don't have a right to discovery as of right. The way that civil litigation wins is you get their email correspondence, you get their internal studies that say, yeah, we know it's a bad vaccine, but we're going to make money on it. That's so, what so if I'm so, so if I'm if, if my child is hurt, I file a complaint with HHS because there's no because I can't sue the, a pharmaceutical company. Sure. So I may have a doctor that agrees with me that the vaccine caused right. autism on my child, but I have to submit a submit a complaint. Right. I'm not allowed to right. bring in an expert witness. No. I'm well, not allowed to even sue the pharmaceutical to get documents because they're protected. Not and quite. The not compensation quite. fund which is run by HHS, but overseen by DOJ lawyers, then decides whether or not, not my quite. child was hurt. No, not quite close, but not quite. Okay. So you apply to HHS and HHS, well, you apply to the injury compensation program. And HHS, the defendant may say right out of the box, okay, the kid developed seizures one minute after getting the vaccine. We agree with you. This is a vaccine injury. We'll pay you out. And a lot of the cases are settled. That happens. There's something called the division of vaccine injury compensation. But oftentimes they, they won't agree that this was a vaccine injury. They'll say, oh, well, you had a genetic condition or, oh, we're not sure. And they fight the cases. The cases are fought in, they're under the court of federal claims. So there is what's called a special master. Typically that was somebody who was already a lawyer for the government. They were an, an army lawyer or they were a department of trade lawyer. They tend to be you know, very pro-government and they sit and it looks a little bit like a courtroom, but there's no jury, Christine. And um, it's uh, it can be sort of held anywhere. So there is a proceeding and you can call expert witnesses. And the, the one really good thing about this program is your lawyer's fees are covered out of the compensation program, win or lose. Remember this compensation program is paid for by us, by anybody who buys a vaccine, there's a 75 cent excise tax on every vaccine. So there's billions of dollars in this fund, but it would never be enough to cover all the injury. So but it's not, but it's not, it's not the pharmaceutical companies. No, no, They're overcharging not. us. No, it's and consumers. We contribute to their mistake financially. Correct. It's a consumer excise tax. Now pharma passes, you know, pharma, Pharma doesn't pay is the bottom line. Pharma doesn't have to, pharma is not liable in any way. There's one loophole, however. So, and let me say that the parents who had injured kids or kids who died, who were at the table back in the early, late 70s, early 80s, they understood this statute, the 1986 Act, to permit concurrent jurisdiction. They believe that once you file in this program, you wait out your 240 days, and then you can go sue in, in, in state or federal court. That's how they understood it. And initially, there were some cases like that of like, no, I'd rather go and get a jury and get a, a big judgment to take care of my kid for the rest of the life after I'm gone. Well, there were then split decisions between different circuits, different federal circuits about whether or not you could actually go and what bases you could go for. So the one thing that was really in contention by the late, uh, by early two, 2010s, I think it was, was whether or not you could sue for a defectively designed vaccine in a state or federal court. That was really about autism because the thimerosal in, the, in many vaccines, the mercury containing preservative was, 
you know, implicated in causing autism. And a Supreme Court decision in 2012, Brucewitz versus Wyeth said, no, nope, you can't take those cases to state or federal court. So right now, the only way that you get out of that compensation program under the 86 Act, and then we'll come back to the PrEP Act, is if there was a fraud on the regulator. If there was fraud, all bets are off. You can go to a state or federal court after you filed in this injury compensation program and you can ask for punitive damages. So we, Children's Health Defense, are working with Baum Headland, a, a personal injury law firm, and we have 10 cases in state courts and federal courts around the country against Merck for their Gardasil shot. Because we believe that the Gardasil does not prevent cancer. There's zero evidence that prevents cervical cancer, which is, which is its basis. And um, that they perpetrated fraud, that they knew from the get-go, from the clinical trials, that this shot actually causes cervical cancer and other you know, dysplasia and other terrible conditions, autoimmune conditions, in a substantial portion of people to get it. So this is, so, so that the audience understands, this is the HPV vaccine. Correct. That a lot of pediatricians push on kids. Oh, sure. And if they go, if they go to college, the nurses will push and the doctors will push on kids when they're over 18 if the parents aren't in the room. And they have given it to boys and girls and oh, it has yes. caused paralysis. And oh, they yeah. have actually gotten cervical cancer. Oh, absolutely. And death. Is this the one that Bill Gates killed like half a million girls in India? Is that the he same? He didn't kill virus? half a million, but or girls died. Vaccine? And there was a parliamentary inquiry. I wrote a book called The HPV Vaccine on Trial with two co-authors. And mm -hmm. uh, it's it, it goes through the scandalous clinical trials that were conducted around the world. But children died in India. There was no compensation. And they actually threw it out of the country in India for a while. They've sort of now let it back in. But the human papillomavirus vaccine is a very dangerous vaccine. And it's a very close proxy for it's the closest sort of, it's the last big push globally before the COVID shots. So it's quite relevant. Um, to what's happening with COVID. It's just basically pushing out something that doesn't work, that's essentially experimental, that has a ridiculously high injury rate. Um, and that also, uh, you know, has very significant fertility effects. Um, so it's, it's quite, it's quite relevant. But why, why are the doctors, why are the doctors pushing this? Is it money? I mean, I know the sales rep come around and buy them lunch and all so, that stuff. So, but Well, so one of the big problems is, you know, this is this, this is this healthcare pharmaceutical phalanx. It's this, it's this structure. So once it becomes the quote unquote standard of care for gynecologists and for pediatricians to be offering this, if they don't offer this, they can be tried for malpractice, right? So mm -hmm. let's say a 50, let's, so it's incredibly rare that a 20 year old would get cervical cancer, although it's becoming a lot more common, particularly after HPV. Uh, shots, um, you know, if, if that doctor didn't offer it to the person, that person could come back and say, well, that was malpractice. So the boards and then, you know, the professional associations, they get bought out by pharma. So there's ACOG, which is the association of uh, um, whatever. It's like the obstetrician and gynecologist, the American, the American College of Obstetricians and uh, Gynecologists, ACOG. I mean, they push this like crazy. And the saddest part, Todd, is it, it, I think that the everyday gynecologist or pediatrician doesn't know. They believe the FDA. They believe the CDC. They believe right. NIH. They believe Merck and Glaxo. Those who, those are the companies whose products they use. But people at the top, in our book, The HPV Vaccine on Trial, we talk about how ACOG 
is recommending to gynecologists that they not screen women to see if they actually have the antibodies to the viruses in the HPV vaccine. It's just like with COVID right now, if you already have the antibodies, you are at much higher risk of an injury. And ACOG is telling their doctors, don't screen people, don't screen them for pregnancy. That is crazy. To me, that suggests that that is all about liability protection and people at the top do know that what they're doing is wrong and it's not in the interest of their patients. So it's, it's a very sad kind of military, it's not military, well, it's becoming military with COVID, but it's this medical industrial complex that functions as a whole, the government, medicine, and pharma. And what's so tragic about that is we know from thousands of years ago, the physician has to serve the patient, only the patient. And the doctor's obligation has to be first do no harm. But now doctors are literally answerable to the government. And so whatever the government wants, that's what the doctors are going to do because they're afraid of losing their licenses. And they're doing a lot of things that are literally deadly at this point. Mm. So let's talk about the COVID today for people who are taking the shots who naively believe when Fauci says you will be compensated if you are injured. Right. Because that's a lie. Fauci's lying to people. And we know so, this. Yeah. So here's, so I was starting to say, sorry, so let me go back. So the 1986 program, you know, works reasonably well, but by 9-11, clearly there are people in government and in Congress thinking, okay, we need something that's going to cover us in the event of, you know, crises, of emergencies. Maybe it's going to be a radiation emergency. Maybe it's a nuclear emergency. Maybe it's a bioweapons emergency. We need some kind of emergency compensation program for people who might be hurt. So they set up a new compensation program, Christine, called the Countermeasures Injury Compensation Program. This what one- year is, What year is this, Mary? 2005, 2005. So this one is unreal. This one is totally a black hole. So this one doesn't even have the pretext that it's actually under the Court of Federal Claims, under the Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit, which does have access to the Supreme Court. This one is just under HHS. Okay, and you get to appeal just to HHS. This is just on the papers. You get no comp. You get no, you know, payment to cover your lawyers. Um, you have one year to file. And the history right now, it looks as if under five percent of any petitions have ever been compensated. This is through FOIA documents, you know, freedom of information that people have found out. Um, right now, there's not a single payout that's been made for anybody who's been injured by a COVID shot since last December when they came online. You know, I think they will drag their feet to say, oh, well, we don't know what the science says yet. I think that could be years. And um, people only have a year to file. Now, Christine, as the Pfizer community vaccine was licensed, I am expecting that they will go out and now that they're recommending this for pregnant women and for children 16 and up, um, that enables them to get into the injury compensation program, This the, the, the one for the 1986 Act. So they have to put a notice in the federal register. I do expect that at least for Pfizer community that's now licensed, although unavailable, they will move that over to the NVICP from the CICP. But what's gonna happen to the people who have to file by December? I don't know, Christine, are, they, are their claims gonna move over from the CICP to the NVICP? We don't know, it's never been done before, but I'll tell you, 
judging from the 86 Act compensation program and what's happened so far in the 2005 compensation program, they are horrible, Christine. They are horrible. And so I want to know, I, I want to know of getting any kind of compensation from the government. Okay. So, so <clears throat> we can all talk about elusive, uh, you know, agencies and it, it's too big. I want to know as an investigative journalist, who makes these decisions, where it's done, who's in the room. And, and because this isn't made, you know, by, by a bunch of clowns. This is, this right. is right. well, as I say, HHS, in my best judgment, including FDA, NIH and CDC, they're all captured. They are run by pharma. So Obviously. I don't know who's in the room, but I'll tell you that Pfizer is going to be telling their buddies at HHS, Oh, that case of a stroke, that case of a heart attack, that case of a, you know, of a Guillain-Barre. No, that wasn't related to the vaccine. You know, oh, they had some precondition. I mean, they're not going to be, you know, going out of their way to help consumers. They're going to be going out of their way to help their buddies in pharma because that's where they're going to retire. They're going to leave HHS and they're going to go get a sinecure. At, uh, I always thought it was very, I always thought it was very interesting when Biden came in that he appointed a former attorney general of California to be head of HHS in, 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 you know, in the middle of a global pandemic. So I close the window and hear a little background noise. Do you want me to close that? No, it's fine. It's Sorry. fine. Okay. Uh, but it's, but it would, to me, it was very interesting that an attorney general was made head of HHS. I, I agree. Um, you know, Becerra seems to be, you know, um, closely aligned. I mean, the, the Biden team was able to bring in many of the same people that were involved in getting the Affordable Care Act through. And, um, you know, I think they're very aligned with the pharmaceutical industry on this and, and basically, you know, sort of a big government approach. And, you know, President Biden is not listening to the world-class scientists or saying there's a problem here. They are just dismissing these people. They are literally censoring these people. They're not giving these people access to the White House. I mean, it's it's um, it's very disturbing. So anybody who thinks that their paralysis or their you know medical expenses of now over a million dollars from the injuries that they got last February that they're going to be paid back for those injuries anytime soon, they're dreaming, Christine. They're dreaming. People don't understand that there is not going to be compensation, in my best judgment, for most of the people who get harmed. Two thirds of the people in the 86 program, which is worlds better than the horrible countermeasures program, two thirds don't get compensated. I don't believe that people go through that nightmare when their kids weren't injured by vaccines. I believe there's a level of denialism around this that's alarming. So how, how do we excuse, go, I'm sorry, how, how do we marry um, confront and hold these physicians especially accountable? I mean, if if a physician won't prescribe ivermectin, well, we're working on those lawsuits right now, Todd. So we're okay. working with Frontline Critical Care Coalition, and we're working with America's Frontline Doctors, and we believe that you know people have the right to get effective, safe treatments and prophylactics. Mm -hmm for COVID. And we believe based on the science that we look at that ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine based on meta-analyses are both safe and effective. And in countries where they're in wide use in Africa against malaria and against river blindness, we see very low rates of COVID. So 
we're fighting those battles right now, Todd. We have to get access to that. We also have to get in the, you know, first up, we have to get an acknowledgement that natural immunity exempts you from any of these kinds of vaccination mandates. This is ludicrous. Those people are at higher risk. I mean, there's world-class physicians, again, who are out there saying that. And even Fauci, uh, in an interview two days ago with Sanjay right. Gupta, kind of waffled on that. I mean, I think even he knows there's no way that we should not be exempting people with natural immunity. But what they don't want to have happen is everybody gets tested ahead of vaccination, finding out that it may be a huge percentage of the American population that actually has natural immunity. Because yeah. This virus did spread for a year before there was any kind of a vaccine, right? So people do have herd immunity. A lot of people acquire antibodies. They were never sick. They should not be vaccinated. Well, we'd like to help you give coverage on those lawsuits. Just throwing well, that out there. Great. We're, we're engaged yeah. in a lot of lawsuits. Happy to talk to you. We filed a lawsuit a week ago against the FDA with their you know, smoke and mirrors that they're claiming that they can have a license and an emergency use authorization for the same product at the same time. You can't do that. That's not what the law permits. That's wrong. And so we're, you know, we're, we're taking I, I think media coverage on a lot of these physicians, like the, the doctor in Florida that won't treat unvaccinated. I mean, uh, you know that well, she needs to be made famous you know <laughs> well but that's happening that's happening throughout the country yeah. you know this is very troubling doctors who swear an oath to you know to help people uh lots of facilities are now i think with encouragement from the government right in mm -hmm. the war on the unvaccinated they are refusing to treat and we've seen this again in the kids area. I've been in this world for 20 years. We've seen pediatricians for years now refusing to treat children who won't follow the CDC vaccine schedule. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're going to, we're entering a new phase and uh, it's going to be harder, but people need to stand up because these shots are dangerous and they're not effective and um, they're better. I mean, people need to make their own choice. I respect anybody's decision, but people must have the right to refuse unwanted medical care. And the law on this is very clear, Christine and Todd. You know, the Supreme Court has adjudicated cases like this. You have the right to refuse unwanted medicine. You have the right to bodily integrity. There are few rights more deeply rooted in common law than your right to decide what goes into your body. So this, this you know, War on the unvaccinated, I'm very happy to see. I'm sorry to see that lots of attorney generals and governors are coming out because Biden says it. I wish they'd been on board before. I don't think it's helpful in general to politicize this issue, but it is now politicized. And I'm very happy to see that there are many states that are stepping up to say, we will not go on. You know, we will not follow this. We will challenge you on this. We will not. Well, I think, I think the combination of press and legal action is, is very effective against from a grassroots level against these people. Well, it certainly takes it all for sure. Needs it all. Yeah. Mary, go into the other side because when people talk about exemptions, okay, you, you, you've educated me on this, but I wanted to come from you as the expert about the, uh, the lack of religious exemptions that has now evolved and also the lack of medical exemptions by some state legislations. It, it's important for people to understand that again, what is said at the federal level in terms of mandates they also people need to take a look at what is available to them in the states where they're at. Right. So, you know, even back in 1905, in this Jacobson versus Massachusetts landmark decision that said at a you know government level, um, 
and let people know this it's during during the the epidemic of oh, and in Massachusetts. yeah let me just so so back in you know early so vaccination has always been controversial because people get injured by the vaccines and they don't always work. So it's always been controversial. So, you know, there were people in the 1800s in the US when smallpox was raging. Smallpox killed about 30% of the people who got it. It was a way different threat than COVID. Uh, and so different states and different, you know, cities would have mandates and they would, you know, they, these cases went to court all the time. And so in 1905, a case, Jacobson versus Massachusetts, went to the Supreme Court and this pastor said, you know, I have a religious objection to this and I also have suffered, you know, medical contraindications. I have a right to decide not to take this and uh, not to pay this $5 fine, which is today about $150. The Supreme Court said, no, you don't have a right to say no and not pay the fine. So basically the guy has to pay the fine. It was not like lose your job, not be able to go into entertainment venues. It was pay a $5 fine, let's be clear. But they said in that decision, you absolutely, there has to be a medical exemption. They didn't use quite those words, but they said, you can't mandate this to somebody for whom it would be cruel to the ultimate extent. In other words, you cannot put somebody's life at risk. Right. So all of these mandates, Biden didn't mention a medical exemption, which is wrong. You have to say that there have to be medical exemptions. There are people who cannot safely take vaccines. But what we've seen is the whittling down of these bases for exemptions, Christine, and intimidation and delicensure of the doctors who give them. This is outrageous. This is, again, the medical profession literally turning on its patients in order to serve the government and preserve their licenses. So now they use sort of standard of care measures. And there are some guidance from the CDC that basically says if you didn't nearly die from your vaccine, if you didn't have seizures or you didn't have anaphylactic shock, you're not entitled to a medical exemption. I mean, it's just horrifying stuff. It puts a physician in the position of putting their patients at risk, absolutely contrary to their oath to first do no harm. So that's where we are. And in California, California and New York have been at the front of the pack on these measures. California passed a law called SB 276 saying that if doctors grant medical exemptions to children from the vaccinations on their program, if they give five, they are automatically under scrutiny of the California Medical Board. Five medical exemptions. Five exemptions. You know, they may have a practice of special needs children. <laughs> Why would every medical practice be the same? And these have been, you know, really spearheaded by this pediatrician, Dr. Richard Pan, who has been, you know, absolutely anathema to the notion that parents deserve informed consent for their children. This, this was the second bill that he passed. The first was SB 277 that basically took away the personal belief exemption in California, which also de facto took away the religious exemption. So medical exemptions should exist everywhere. In point of fact, doctors won't write them anymore, Christine, because people are, the doctors are afraid they're going to lose their license. That is horrifying. So literally in New York state, we have children whose doctors wrote them medical exemptions under, you know, with difficulty because they're so afraid. And the school districts are denying those medical exemptions. We're litigating that right now. That case for Children's Health Defense is before the Second Circuit Court of Appeals. Mm. It, again, this is just frightening stuff that doctors are willing to keep their licenses to put these children in jeopardy of their lives. That's how bad that is. But the other thing that protected people from unwanted vaccination were religious exemptions. So 45 states still have religious exemptions for children. In five states, New York, California, Maine, uh, Connecticut, uh, they've already been um, 
removed. Uh, there's another, I'm forgetting another by state. By the state legislatures. By the state legislatures, right. By the state legislatures. And in some places they've put in provisions so that the State Department of Health can add vaccines to the schedule. Um, but in most states, adults by statute still have the right to religious exemptions. So part of the drive right now is to eradicate religious exemptions. So for instance, I'm in New York within the last couple of weeks, the Department of Health of New York State arrogated to itself the right to remove religious exemptions from healthcare workers in New York who are now mandated to get COVID shots. So again, there will be legal challenges to that. We think that that's unlawful, that the legislature had to do that, not the Department of Health, but the war on religious exemptions. So in New York, they repealed it in one day through the red, for, through the legislature in 2019 for children's in the wake of the measles epidemic. Forget mm -hmm. that measles was another precursor to COVID. I mean, the people should really understand that there's a war on religious exemptions, but religious exemptions are available. My view is that people should absolutely avail themselves of them if they have religious concerns, which I think the ultimate religious concern is the concern for preservation of life. That is a religious concern. So I think, you know, in my view, people are, you know, if people can articulate their concerns in religious terms, they have a right to a religious exemption. And there are many religious leaders out there who are standing up for people's religious exemptions and they are willing to write letters on behalf of people expressing religious objections to COVID shots. Now, it's crazy, Christine, you know, HR departments, human resources are deciding whether or not you have a valid, genuine, sincere religious objection. This is such a violation of church and state. This has been going on with kids for forever, but now it's sort of for the whole adult population, essentially. I mean, you know, there's gonna be lots and lots of challenges on religious grounds that it's religious discrimination to, um, to uh, you know, bar people from stating a religious exemption. So this is gonna be a very litigated area. Also the medical exemptions are gonna be very litigated under the Americans with Disabilities Act. There are lots of people who will claim I cannot safely be vaccinated. So I see a lot of litigation coming in the context of religious exemptions and medical exemptions. Do you think, do you think the silver lining is that the mask is off now? Yes, I think the silver lining is that it is now clearly a war on the unvaccinated worldwide. This is not just the United States. This is a but more than that. I mean, that's like the symptom of the disease, which is a, a cabal, if you will, of I agree. I mean, there's so many things that just don't make sense. If this was right. about health, why would we be throwing healthcare workers out of work? If this was about health, how could we possibly be barring people from elective medical procedures? If this was about health, how could we not be doing autopsies on the people who died from the shots? How could we not be looking realistically at how ineffective these are. What the FDA did to license the Comirnaty Pfizer vaccine, they looked at data through last March. They didn't look at the data that's relevant to the Delta variant. How do you, they didn't even convene their own expert committee on vaccines. There's so many things that are red flags for us. This is not about health. This is about getting people into this compliance program. And this is about creating this digital passport, right? So the World Health Organization has come out and said, we have to have health surveillance now. Europe is trying to have a common passport. Tony Blair, the former prime minister in the UK, a big proponent of all this. Now we need to have, be able to coordinate all these passes. This is clearly about sort of a health pass in the new world order, I mean, or the new world anyway. Uh, this, this is not a conspiracy theory. This is what the World Health Organization and the 
biggest proponents, the World Economic Forum. This is what they're saying to us. So I look at this from the 40,000 foot arena. And I think that the medical exemptions, the religious exemptions, losing your job if you don't, if in your mandated, uh, you know, whether it's a hundred plus employee business or uh, healthcare industry, I think this is about medical freedom. I, oh, I think that's the overall, and then you you have all these octopus legs out there. And the saddest part about this is that it can be litigated. But in the meantime, no. kids are going to have to be pulled out of school or you're going to have to move out of a state or you're going to have to sacrifice your job. Yeah. And the fear that people have is that they don't see an option to survive financially or peacefully because of this. And that's why my, my focus has been and, and, and I, you know, I make no bones about it. I'm after the fraud. I believe this is medical trafficking. I believe that this could damn near be close to genocide in motion because the damage it's doing done, the advertisements, the sound bites from all the people that are involved say this is safe. This is not about freedom. It's not about personal choice. Oh, yes, it is. It's about personal choice, personal freedom. We don't live in a tyranny. This is medical tyranny from for, and, and Christine, I agree. Anything else but that. This is absolutely about tyranny. I mean, if you don't control your body, if you don't get to mm -hmm. decide what goes into your bloodstream, what do you, what rights do you have? You, you don't have property rights if you, they can put something in your body and you die tomorrow. You don't have rights over your children if you can be incapacitated tomorrow. If you don't control what goes inside your body, you know, you you control nothing. You own nothing. Well, that's, that, that, that is CCP. I mean, when, I when, when, well, they, when they made the decision that you only could have, you know, one child. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that that, well, that is. But Christine, it goes way beyond not one child. It's you know, we don't we don't even know what's in these vaccines now, Christine. The license to Pfizer for community to BioNTech for community, it's blacked out. We don't know what's in those vials. Right. If we give up globally the right to know what goes in our bodies and make decisions about that, we can be turned on and off at any government's whim. That is what people are conceding to. That's just the reality. We do not, we live in a, tyr a medical tyranny if this goes through. And who knows what will so be in where's, the Where's the line, Mary, where's the line for criminal culpability but, and negligence on this? Because well, I, to me, that's how you break through. Right. The, I think we're getting there, Christine. I think up until Biden's speech on Thursday, I think, you know, states were reticent to kind of jump into the fray. I think now uh, many um, states they're at the attorney general level are really willing to now look at this in a new way, seeing that the, the federal government is now trying to essentially take over health legislation. That's what is happening, right? The federalization of health. Health has always been at the state level in the United States. That's why the Affordable Care Act was so controversial. States want to regulate that themselves. Biden just announced, not only are we sort of taking this over, but we're going to we're going to go down. You know, if it's 100 employees today, of, of course, it's going to be one employee tomorrow. I mean, this is the federalization. And so now states are pushing back. And so I think we're in a new phase, which is great. And I think people are also waking up, as Todd said, it's like fully vaccinated is now going to be three shots as of September 20th. Or six, <laughs> every six months of boost. Unless you're in Israel where it's four. Yeah. So it's four. Yeah. I mean, 
In other words, people have to wake up and, and people know people now who are being injured by these shots. It's, it's just not that hard. You know, you talk to people, people are being injured. So people are waking up. That's the good news. Um, you know, ultimately, Christine, for sure, there's going to be criminal trials on this. There's already criminal trials in Brazil for fake clinical trials for hydroxychloroquine. They were lethal trials. These were trials that were meant to show that hydroxychloroquine is dangerous, just like they're saying ivermectin is horse medicine now. Well, there's criminal cr prosecutions right now in Brazil for the for the doctors who who ran those trials. So there will ultimately be criminal prosecutions. There will be people, God willing, that go to jail for what's happened. But in the interim, Christine, you're right. People have to, I, I have many, many family friends, um, friends with children. They've moved out of the state. They've moved to Tennessee. They've moved to Florida. They've moved to Idaho. They've moved to what they take, moved to Texas. They moved to places that they consider safe states on this issue for their children. I also know people who are now losing their jobs. They're reaching out to me. There are job boards on GAB. There's a, you know, sort of a vaccine job board. Children's Health Defense is creating an internship right now for the students who've been thrown out of college and graduate school because they refuse unwanted medical care. Um, there are where people are setting up private um, membership associations so that there are restaurants that now can't let people in. They can charge a membership fee and then they're not they don't have to follow the laws about public accommodation. People are going to find very creative ways to get around this, Christine. People need to stand firm. They need to join organizations like Informed Consent Action Network, like Children's Health Defense, so that they feel like they're not alone. The scariest thing about this, I think, is that people feel like they're alone. They're not alone. We are millions and millions of people. There's 80 million people who are exactly. standing up. They've been haranguing us since you know December, since before, to go get back. 80 million people have already stood up. Some of them are going to have to give up their jobs, Christine. Some of them are going to have to, uh, you know, assert religious exemptions, medical exemptions. Some of those people are going to be accepted. But I think it's very important to say people should not quit. If you're forced to deal with these mandates, do not quit. Because if you quit, you lose all your legal rights. Make them go through the motions of terminating you. And then you will have a possibility. And there will be lawyers who are coming into this. And we're working with those lawyers to challenge that this was a wrongful termination, that this was discrimination on the basis of religion, that this was discrimination on the basis of disability. Do not quit. Make your employer fire you. And um. Then, you know, reach out to Children's Health Defense. You can write to chd at childrenshealthdefense.org. If we can't help you, we will refer you out to people who can. Don't quit. You are in the right. Your employer is in the wrong. The federal government is in the wrong for mandating what is an experimental medical procedure. We have to rebuild from the ground up everything. We do. We do. Medical, we, are, we are creating a new world, Todd. We're creating yeah. new media. We're creating new healthcare. We're creating new civil society. We have to rebuild. We we can't. Yeah. We are seceding. Essentially, we are being excluded, but we are also seceding because we will not comply. And you know, the interesting. I was thinking about an article this morning. You know, karma's a bitch. I mean, right now you have all the progressives destroying their bodies with these vaccines. Who's going to be left, Todd? You know? It's, it's tragic. It's the America first guy. It's such an irony. It's, it's the slave states in this country that are standing up for people's freedom, you know, medical freedom. I mean, mm -hmm. it, 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 karma is a bitch. This is such mm -hmm. a crazy situation that the, that the political side that has been saying my body, my choice for 50 years is now saying my body, your choice. I mean, that's yeah. literally what the left is saying. My body, your choice. You put in me some injection that I don't even know what's in it. 
I don't even know what's in it. Not, not only that, but I, on Thursday, when President Biden said this isn't a game, my jaw dropped. And I thought, you're damn right. It's it, And it's not damn your right. game. It's you're, not your game. We're, and we're getting serious. Thought, and, you know. If he thinks he's serious, this, oh. this, is, this, is, this is like nothing. Rice, Samantha Power, Sullivan, Blinken. These guys have no idea what has been unleashed in America. They don't. They really don't. They really don't. They are going to, it's going to be a bloodbath in the 2022 elections, in my best judgment. I mean, what is more important than control over your own body and the body of your children? And They're the whole political paradigm is shifting. It's no longer Democrat, Republican. No, it's, no, no. It's this freedom totally, versus control. That's it is it. totally freedom versus control. It is totally, mm -hmm. you know, it, that's exactly right. It's not even individual versus collectivist because of course there need to be some collective norms. It is freedom versus, you know, control. That's exactly what it is, Todd. Yeah. Mary, uh, one of the one of the notions that has has arisen when we've interviewed a lot of these injured is uh, how many of them have been told by when the ER doctors and their physicians can't figure out what's wrong with their multiple issues and a lot of them are neurological, um, but they haven't been diagnosed as neurological because the doctors and the hospitals and the GPs haven't received any uh, protocols from the CDC because the right. FDA hasn't announced it. But one, one of these notions that keeps it, it's pattern developing, and we uh, broke a story yesterday about it, uh, linking to our interviews with the injured, is about how many of them are told they're all suffering from anxiety. And, oh, and in some cases, they yeah. say, go see your shrink. And yeah, some so cases, it's all in your head. So, but, the, yeah. and, but also there's a pattern of some of these shrinks trying to suggest to them they should get on SSRIs, the antidepressant, the psychotropic drugs. Have you run across that? Oh, absolutely. So this is exactly in, in the book that I did uh, with my colleagues, the HPV vaccine on trial. This is exactly what happens. So these girls would, you know, go into full paralysis. They would have incredible dysautonomia. They would have these basically like, you know, shaking their bodies. They couldn't move and they would be told, oh, it's all in your head. This is your anxiety. I mean, seizures are not you know, mental, they're, it's not a mental disorder. So this is absolutely this gaslighting because the doctors don't want to acknowledge that there could be a problem with these vaccines, first of all. Second of all, they know nothing about vaccine injury or how to treat it. And so the easiest thing for them to do is to shove people over into the mental health area and then drug people. And we've seen this with autism. We've seen this with HPV vaccine injury. And so it's no surprise to me that this is exactly what's happening with COVID. This is this, they don't know what to do. And so they just are going to call it mental. It's not mental. And they're going to harm people with drugs that they don't need, which are toxic. So when you reported on that in your book, uh, I mean, how do we explain to people this is a this is repeated history? Because it really is from, from the from the oh, early repeated. I mean, Christine, you know, my son was injured over, you know, 20 years ago, um, you know, this is all so, this is the playbook. And in fact, Robert Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy's book about Tony Fauci that's gonna be coming out in November, this is a lot of, this is a repeat from the AIDS era. This is not really new. It's just that up until now, it didn't affect everybody. Right. Now, these sort of this industry capture, this genuinely, you know, private public partnership of monopolies 
that have basically completely taken over the federal government, they're now really going after us. This really is, you know, a war on democracy. This is a war on individual rights. And most people have never been exposed to this before. Those of us who've been in these trenches for a long time, this, there's nothing new here. They're just using a playbook that they've basically worked on for decades, Christine, decades. I mean, this really does, the Fauci playbook starts with AIDS. This is the 1980s. They've been working on this pharma government, you know, regulatory capture, uh, injure people and gaslight them, deny compensation, no liability. This has been going on for about 40 years. So it's we're not gonna be able to destroy this overnight, but I assure you that you know we at Children's Health Defense and at ICANN and at Millions Against Medical Mandates and at National Vaccine Information Center and other groups, National Health Fund, Free, you know, Foundation, we're all working hard and I think we're increasingly working together and I'm thrilled that now we've got states stepping into the fray, right? We've got states saying no mandates. This is about freedom. How dare you say this isn't about freedom? We've got state attorney generals who are now saying, yeah, we're gonna look at these early treatments. How dare you say that vaccines are the only answer? This is ludicrous. I think that this is, uh, this is why they had to get rid of Trump. I mean, when well, he said, I'm I going after big pharma and they're very powerful, wow. how. How, you know, I, I have to that. say, you know, what I saw in the Biden speech last night, Todd, mm -hmm. was how divisive it was. Basically, you know, we've lost our patience with the unvaccinated. He was incredibly divisive. It's the most divisive I've seen. He's Biden. a bully. He's, he's a, a bully. bully. He's I, have a bully. To say, I think that, you know, from my perspective, President Trump also was divisive. So I see both discontinuity yeah. and continuity. I think what we're seeing is this increasing polarization, divisiveness, separating people, ver you know, based on vaccinated versus unvaccinated, black versus white, you know, it's crazy. This is just not how to run a country. Um, we are all citizens. And I think we all believe that our democracy serves us as difficult as it is. And I think what we're seeing, like you're saying, this is a war on freedom. This is a war on democracy. I mean, the notion that individuals don't get to make their own decisions about their own bodies, the notion that this can be done as a regulatory matter at the mm -hmm. federal and state level, the notion that your employer gets to decide what medicine is administered to you every six months. I mean, this is the antithesis of a democracy. This is central control. And this is, I don't know whether to call it communism or fascism. I, I say it's either fascist communism or communo-fascism. It's both. It's this it's notion- corporate communism. Yeah, something it's like just that. this yeah. notion of like it's very public-private is at the heart yeah. for sure, and it's mm -hmm. like you don't get to decide anymore. You know, I, you I, don't get to I think the election. Um, I think that because of what happened in the election, I think they wanted ten more years to play this out until we were completely. I think under you're their right. thumb. and the election really pulled the mask off, and they had to do something. And now, you know, this is the silver lining and the opportunity to take them down. Well, I think we so. can take them down. I mean, listen, the H1N1 was a similar, this is not the first pandemic, right? So mm -hmm. H1N1, 2009, that was supposed to be sort of like, get everybody on board, get everybody shots. And there was pushback. And then they discovered the fraud, Christine. So Dr. Wolfgang Vodark, who was at that time in the European Parliament, he called them on it. And those, you know, it, 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 it fell apart. This is going to fall apart. They, yes. they weren't ready. It's, yes. it's not working. They acted too quick. But the sad reality is, is that, you know, millions of people have already died around the world and more yeah. millions probably are going to die. I mean, we are now into 
the respiratory illness season. That's just yeah. what happens in the fall. People come indoors. There is more, you know, transmission. People get less vitamin D. They should be telling people, take vitamin C, take vitamin D, you know, boost your immune system. Don't take these shots. And then there are people who are using prophylactic, you know, ivermectin, prophylactic hydroxychloroquine. There are things that work, but we are going to now see, I think we're now in September, you know, between now and next March. I mean, it's inevitable. Yep. These rates are going to murder. Go. They're not I, giving them the drugs. It's murder. Simply. Yeah. I mean, it, it, we, you have to prove intent for murder, Todd. And I don't think we've proved that yet, but I, the consequences I think are going to yeah. be clear. Or at least, uh, you know, manslaughter or something where you're, you're preventing somebody I mean, from saving their own life. So, I mean, so the ivermectin cases yeah. we're, we're working on those right now, I, it, per, suppressing information about effective treatments and making them unavailable. That is absolutely, you know, that is a crime in my mind. There's no question about that being a crime. I have a friend, Michael Doherty, who fought the deep state for 15 years because they, the FBI gave uh, hacking software to a cybersecurity firm. They, they put his medical data. He ran a medical lab in Georgia, LabMD. They put his medical data out on the web and then said, you know, you, that's illegal. You have to pay us millions to fix your problem. And they found that they were doing this to thousands of companies. But his term was, you know, nobody cared in, unless the tree fell on them. So, I mean, that's right. kind of exactly. what you've been experiencing that's for a while. Exactly right. That sadly, you know, I've been working with families on whom the tree has fallen for the last 20 odd years, right? And there's a lot mm -hmm. of us, there are millions of us, and we've been fighting the sort of, you know, religious exemption wars and medical exemption and autism treatment wars and, uh, you know, special mm -hmm. education wars. Those are the ones that we had to fight for the last 20 years for our kids. But now the tree's falling on everybody. And the good news is, is that uh, mm -hmm. it's on everybody globally and people right. aren't stupid. You know, the good news is, is there, there's still some common sense left. And I don't think people are gonna put up with it. In Australia on their sixth lockdown, they're just saying, we're not having it, right? They're just fighting back on the streets. People are getting bloodied. This is not gonna be pretty. A lot of this is yeah. not gonna be pretty, but people are fighting back globally. In France, 400,000 people demonstrating. I mean, Brazil. of course, our media, our media isn't covering it. I'm gonna be at a yeah. demonstration tomorrow in New York City for all the frontline workers who are being thrown out of their work in New York City. There's gonna be, you know, I, we're counting on at least 10,000 people tomorrow. I wanna to come give coverage on that. Can I get a health or a media pass to get in there? Yeah, you bet. Cool. I'm, Mary, yeah. tell, us, tell us about the reaction in New York to the healthcare workers because Todd was at a uh, anti-vaccine press conference. Todd, was it a couple of weeks ago? Mm -hmm. where the the, uh, the police and the healthcare workers showed up? Well, there's demonstrations in, in a lot of hospitals. I think there's a demonstration tomorrow at Stony Brook Hospital on Long Island. That's been sort of in the tank. Uh, we're going to be at Foley Square tomorrow, you know, in front of the, the big federal and state courthouse. We're expecting it's being sort of help Children's Health Defense is promoting it, but uh, New York City Teachers for Choice, Michael Kane has been a very effective organizer. Del Bigtree from ICANN is going to come to speak tomorrow. Um, what I, time is that? It's at four o'clock at Foley Square, Todd. Okay. And I, I'll offline. I'll I'll give you coordinates. Roger. Um, but uh, you know, we have to. New York City and and California. There have been big demonstrations in California. Of course, they're not being covered. You know, the media is suppressing anything that contradicts their message. Our website, Children's Health Defense, has been really suppressed on Facebook. In Instagram, owned by Facebook, took Robert F. Kennedy's you know, uh, Instagram page off 900,000 followers. You know, this is, they are serious about this. Facebook Amazon, Amazon Barnes and Nobles yesterday 
removed a book by Joseph Mercola and Ronnie Cummins about the truth about COVID, which has a foreword from Bobby Kennedy. I mean, they're not joking, right? They're gonna try to force this down people's throats or force this into people's arms. We can win because the science isn't on their side, the law isn't on their side, the ethics are not on their side. The only thing that's on their side are sort of the control, the money, the money control. And I don't even think they're gonna have law enforcement on their side. They're forcing this on the military right now and the military are not stupid either. And you know, they know that they're being forced to take an experimental product and they know they have a right to say no. So we're working with people in the military. I don't. I think what they have on their side is they have the media and they have money, and they have some level of coercion. But it's not going to work because not it's, it's not, not going to work. And then we do have to. And I think we've now got some law enforcement that's really waking up. We've got some attorney generals around the country. We've got to go after these people. We no, have to sure. investigate these people. We do have to prosecute. And you have to find the disease, not the symptoms. Not the. You got to go down deep and find out where all those came from. Well, I, I think that's true. And I think, yeah, yeah. absolutely. The, the, a real investigation, not the yeah. bogus investigation that the Biden administration just did. I mean, I think we know that there's there's fingerprints from the U.S. and China, but you know how those fingerprints work together, I don't think we know yet. I think you're right. Fascinating stuff. A lot, a hell of a lot of opportunity for someone like me with a media company. I Come mean, on. Or... <laughs> it's going to be fun to unravel it. Yeah. It, it, it's well, going to be a lot. It's going to be long hours and a lot of commitment. I mean, I think everybody's exhausted by this, but we're going to get there. Oh, we're definitely going to get there. And you know what? If we can really unravel this and prosecute these people, God willing, we will prevent this from continuing in this way. That you know, no more fake emergencies to uh, push uh, a control agenda. I mean, that's really what we need to do, right? Yeah. We we need to stop this. Exactly. Mary, thank you for joining us and please come back. I know that there's yeah. a lot more to discuss. Yeah, I'd love to have you on monthly or every six weeks or something. We'll have to do it. Good stuff. Great yeah, stuff. Good stuff. Great stuff. The update of where we are in the war. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Mary. Thank you.